Welcome once again to The Real Money Show, hosted by Guildhall Wealth Management. Folks, this week we have a special treat. We are going to be interviewing Keith Newmeyer, CEO of First Majestic. And for those of you that don't know much about Mr. Newmeyer, he is certainly somebody we find very knowledgeable about the silver market and silver trends in general. So you do not want to miss this show. It's going to be a very important interview that we do and part of our ongoing, uh, I guess, sort of attempt to bring more voices in this community out to you, the listening public. In addition to that, Jeremy and I are going to be spending some time talking about our good friend and friend to the Real Money Show, Paul Craig Roberts, who wrote an article on the 20th of March called America is Losing Its Economy. Now, folks, there's a lot going on, but one thing we know for certain is that it's so important to understand this from the perspective of what is related directly to silver. Silver and gold, those are our first choice metals, and we have spoken about them at length for years and years and years. Keith Newmeyer is a fantastic individual. He's worked in the investment community since 1984. He began his career at a number of Canadian national brokerage firms. Mr. Newmeyer moved on to work with several publicly traded companies in the resource and high technology sectors. He also was the original and founding president of First Quantum Minerals Limited, and he also founded First Majestic, which we're going to be talking about today a little bit, back in 2002 and First Mining Finance in 2015. Mr. Newmeyer also has listed a number of companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and as such, you can imagine he has an extensive amount of experience dealing with the financial, regulatory, legal, and accounting issues that are relevant in the investing community. Mr. Newmeyer was the winner of the Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2011 for the metals and mining category, and we want to welcome him to the show today. Jeremy will be conducting the interview, and we will say hello to Mr. Newmeyer. Welcome to the Real Money Show, Keith. It's a pleasure to have you here. And, uh, we'll Hi, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to speak for the first time. Excellent. And we're, we'll just jump into some questions right away. Um, we, you know, we've been listening to a lot of other interviews that you've been giving. And uh, one of the things I notice is that you call silver a strategic metal. And I was wondering if you can expand on this a little bit, uh, perhaps discuss where you are seeing demand for silver coming at this moment. Well, I came up with that phrase, uh, I don't know, several years ago now, and it, it's, I've heard it repeated in a couple of circles, and I'm, I'm hoping it's going to catch on, you know, because, of course, silver is precious. We all know that. But, um, you know, it, I don't think most people actually know, you know, how critical silver is in the day-to-day lives of the human race. And, and the uses of silver are continuing to grow, and, you know, we're mining 9 to 1 currently on a global scale, which is pretty scary. You know, you're mining one ounce of gold worldwide. For every nine ounces of silver, and, and silver is depleting very, very rapidly. The above-ground supplies are depleting. And mine supply has been dropping. We've had three consecutive years of mine supply dropping, and it's getting pretty crazy out there. If you're an electronics manufacturer, an Apple or a Tesla or a Samsung or you know Sony or you know one of these big you know manufacturers, you've got to be worried, I think, uh, just based on the supply demand fundamentals of the metal. And that's why, like, why I call it strategic, because... Everything that we're doing as a human race to go green and everything we're trying to do to re-electrify the planet in, in, in other ways than oil and gas are going to require a lot more silver than we're currently mining. Yeah, I think that's interesting as well. When we look back, for example, at, at the run, uh, the first run to $50, there was lots of silver above ground and companies like Kodak and maybe Tiffany's or whatnot probably weren't 
thinking about panicking at all. They knew the product was there. But I do wonder if these type of major industries, Apple or, you know, tech tech companies that require so much silver are starting to think, well, wait a minute, we, we they they didn't they stockpiled back then. Now they don't have a stockpile. I wonder if they're even paying attention. Would you know it all? Well, we're getting approached by the end user over the last couple of years. We, you know, we've been getting approached more and more, mm-hmm. which is a little bit unusual. You know, the, the, the mining sector and the banks you know, have this um, uh, relationship whereby, you know, the mining sector just sells their metals into the banking system and the banking system then, you know, finds buyers for the metals and it works very well and the miners get paid and the and consumer gets your metal, and, and, and uh, you know it's, it's all a client system. There's there's flaws in the system, of course, but you know that's generally the way it works, and it's been working like that for decades, I mean, after decades. And uh, you know, with the with the end consumer starting to come directly to the miners, it's interesting. It's, it's just changing the space, and uh, you know, we've seen a couple of traders uh, leave Glencore and open up a brand new exchange, uh, uh, which was just in its infancy in its first year, and we're just looking at it now. Uh, whereby, you know, we could potentially, if we decide to start using this exchange, start selling our metals directly to the end consumer, bypassing the COMEX and the uh, other exchanges around the world. So it's it's interesting the, the direction we're going. And with the, you know, you have talked about that as well, um, the idea that the exchanges might be changing, the money, you know, the way the, the system is set up today could be changing. You're mentioning a couple of those changes uh, just now. So with that said, um, looking for some price targets on, on the metal, of course, you're on record several times, but, uh, you know, where do you see some price targets for the precious metals in, in uh, the next several years? And what do you think would probably need to happen for us to see those ultimate breakouts that a lot of investors in mining companies, as well as the physical, are, are looking for? You know, I'm on record, you know, calling for triple-digit silver, and, you know, the, the math is relatively easy, and then that, um, you know, I think some, sometimes when it is so easy, people doubt that it becomes actually possible, but you know, when you're ni- mining 9 to 1, why would the ratio on a supply-demand fundamental basis not be 9 to 1? That's where it should be trading, that's where we're mining. Uh, you know, historically, if you go back a thousand years, you know, the average is about 15 to 16 to 1. It's only in the last, you know, 40, 50 years when the big banks started trading the metals commercially, uh, you know, in the early 70s when uh, the COMEX was formed and the commercials started trading options against the metals, you know, that's where the price of suppression really started. And, you know, how long can that scheme really last? Because ultimately, you know, back then, as you said earlier in the interview, you know, there was a substantial amount of silver on the ground where they could use to, you know, hedge against their positions that they're taking, you know, in the commercial um, uh, marketplace. But today, with such tight supplies, and most of the metal now is just with ETFs. There's actually very little above-ground silver supply outside of the ETFs. So you know, if you're short and you've got to, to, deliver, to deliver physical metal to the end consumer and you can't get it, which I think is exactly what's going to happen, then it becomes a real issue. And that's when it becomes headline news. And, and you know, that's why I think the catalyst will be because you know it's the markets as we know are driven by headlines. They're not driven by fundamentals. You know we wouldn't see you know the Nasdaq or the S and P trading at the levels they're trading today if, if there was any fundamental reason behind the market. You know everyone's just trading uh, yield. They're trading trading what's up. Whatever's green on their screen, they're they're buying, and whatever's red on their screen, they're selling because they're all momentum. Uh, traders and you've got you know several thousand hedge funds around the world all doing the same thing 
And that's how you get a you know thousand point down days when on the Dow, you know, back in January we saw consecutive thousand point down days because that's when all the computers, all the people are doing exactly the same thing and you know, it works both ways. So, you know, right now the metals are out of favor, you know, gold and silver. I just came back from the Bank of Montreal mining uh, conference, which is a big institutional conference held every February in Miami, and, and by the talk of all the big institutions, and this is all the big money, there's more, more than a trillion dollars under management and the roof of the, under the roof of this convention. And they're all, all of them are talking about nickel and cobalt and copper. No one's talking about gold and silver yet. You know, none of these high-tech solutions for, for you know, electric vehicles or whatever technology that you want to talk about um, wouldn't operate without silver. This is where I get kind of lost in the whole headline uh, uh, stuff that's written because, you know, I continually hear that, you know, silver's the poor man's gold, and it's completely the wrong way of thinking about silver. You know, as I said, you know we started off this call by saying that silver's very strategic and, uh, you know, you couldn't mine a Bitcoin without silver. You know, think about that for a sec. You couldn't drive an electric vehicle without silver. And, you know, I had a fund manager talking to me about it, and like, her eyes were glazing over, and she goes, what do you mean, you know, by, by, by saying you can't drive an electric vehicle without silver? I says, well, what's an electric vehicle? You know, it's, it's a computer on a stack of batteries. That computer has three times more silver in it than a regular normal fuel combustion car. So you know, as, as we produce all these electric vehicles and then later fuel cell vehicles and all the robotics and all the flying cars and all the other exciting things that we're going to be adopting over the next several decades, you know, that's going to be very, very supportive for the price of silver. So I think we will. I mean, it sounds crazy when you're trading at sixteen fifty, you know, silver um, and barely can even you know, get over $17 um, to, you know, call for triple-digit silver. But, you know, that's where we're going, and I think it's going to be uh, based on pure supply demand fundamentals. Keith, this is Darren Long from The Real Money Show, and I'm curious if I could ask, what, in your opinion, is the percentage of silver coming out of the ground right now via primary silver mining operations around the world? Yeah, it's not much. You know, it's uh, the the it's about thirty percent from primary miners. So you know, you, you're talking about the BHPs and you know the, the big big guys, you know, the, the Phelps Dodges. You know, the you know these guys. Um, you know, they produce some silver you know, because they you know they've got big big copper mines. They've got big zinc mines. So there is some silver coming in those operations for sure. And it works out to about 70% of uh, silver comes from secondary production. And if you were to look upon the market as a whole, and having heard what you just said about the COMEX and bypassing the COMEX, I think one of the the great misunderstandings as far as it relates to pricing is that every day an individual comes home who may want to, let's say, for example, own physical silver, may want to speculate in physical service. Really, that's what they're doing. And they hear the price announced every day. And lo and behold, for years and years and years, despite this fantastic argument that's being built behind the scenes of everything you've discussed already, the price of silver stays stagnant and somewhat in 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 the same kind of range without any major markup. Now, knowing that there is always events that drive the market, in your opinion, is it possible in the near future that we would be able to bypass the, the COMEX and, and, and thereby essentially get a different day-to-day price on silver? Well, we're a pretty small player, you know, in the whole scheme of things. You know, you know at our, our level, you know, we're, we're you know, uh, you know, post-acquisition uh, that we're just doing right now, which will close 
at the end of uh, April, you know, we're about a 30 million silver equivalent you know, ounce, or, well, it's 30 million ounce silver equivalent producer uh, in, in an 800 million ounce market. So, you know, it, it's, um, you know, from the whole, you know, effect on the market, you know, from, from first and justice point of view, it's, it's, we're a pretty small player. So you need all the big guys to really want to go down that path. And it's not going to start in silver. You know, silver is a very small uh, market. You know, you look at, you know, 800 million ounces trading at, you know, let's say $72 an ounce. It's, you know, it's, a, it's less than a $16 billion market. So, you know, you're talking about a pretty tiny market. So, you know, it, it, these changes of, of pricing commodities in, in different ways than they're currently being done is going to be directed by the big conglomerates. And it's going to be done, you know, uh, outside of the exchanges, and, and uh, which I think will ultimately happen. But, um, you know, silver will be, in my view, one of the latter metals to, to actually go down that path. But, you know, it's still, you know, it, it is frustrating. Uh, I'm a big supply demand fundamental um, believer. You know, when, when I put First Majestic together, silver was 5 bucks an ounce, and I predicted it would hit 50. It, it did. Um, I didn't think over the next five years it was going to go all the way down from 50 to 1330, which was its low in January 2016, which is pretty shocking for everyone. You know, it's now it's recovered. It's, it's struggling, you know, to get over 18 now. But um, I think it's just a matter of time. You know, everything that's sentiment-driven, everyone's following, you know, zinc and, and, and nickel and cobalt. And, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, once people actually figure out the fact that all these fancy electronics that that these these rare metals, they call them rare metals, you know, cobalt, for example, or others, you know, are, are going into these technologies. These technologies simply wouldn't work without silver. And that story will get out, and, and, and the market will be driven by by um, by you know headline uh, you know news that that's going to affect this market because it's surely not being priced uh, based on supply demand fundamentals. Yeah, it sounds like when you're when you put together the fundamental and the package and the idea that. Okay, we're mining it at nine to one. It's currently trading around eighty to one, give or take. You're saying that the supply in the ground is dropping. Is that is that an indication of, for example, like a peak silver idea? Well, I don't know about that. You know, because it all comes down to price. You know, right. it, it, you know current metal prices. Um, it, it, you know, there's not too many miners making a bunch of money. You know, like you know, we're we're kind of a, it's a break-even kind of business, you know, a little bit of profit here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still grinding down our costs, um, you know, and, and we're making it, we're making buy, but but we're you know we're not you know making the profits really required to to expand the operations, and, and that's why we've seen three consecutive years of, of reduced uh, silver production worldwide because of the price. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, hundred dollars silver happens uh, tomorrow. Of course, production is going to go up because that's going to make a lot of lower-grade mines that are currently uneconomic all of a sudden economic. But you know, my thesis is, is that's exactly what we need because we don't currently have enough mine supply to to, to supply the demand that's that's coming, and that's why we're, we've been in multiple deficits. We've been in uh, over the last thirty years. There's most. There's only been a few years in the last thirty years that we've actually had a surplus supply. And uh, quite honestly, I don't even believe some of the numbers that some of these um, groups put out because, you know, I've, I've talked to refineries and I've talked to uh, the big electronics manufacturers and I've asked the refineries, you know, how much metal goes through your system and, you know, how much you, uh, you know, a cell phone manufacturer, how much, you know, silver do you consume a year uh, in your cell phones? And this is top secret information. They don't want anyone to know it. So, 
when when you know these animals come up with some their supply demand fundamentals and you know uh, uh, and, and they plug in all these numbers you know they don't have a clue what's being recycled they don't have a clue what Samsung is using or, or Tesla is using they just plug in numbers as, as best guess scenarios and that always matches at the bottom you know there's a, there's a magic balancing uh, on the bottom line uh, and then that's what they call the surplus or that's what they call the uh, deficit obviously which is your, your fixed number at the end. It's all nonsense, but you know we know. I know from you know being in this uh, industry for 15 years that uh, we've never had problems selling silver. Um, the demand, you know, is increasing quite rapidly, and that's what excites me in this marketplace. And unfortunately, it's not showing up in price yet. All right, we're going to take a break here. You're listening to The Real Money Show. Part one of that interview is already, I can see, fantastic. A lot being said. We'll come back for part two. The number to call is one eight seven seven eight silver or go to the website guildhallwealth.com. There you can find out how to get on our weekly newsletter where we'll add this interview with Mr. Newmeyer. We'll tell you everything you need to know about how to get gold and silver into your portfolio, whether it's for pleasure, whether it's for wealth insurance, whether you want to take it home or put it into the storage accounts that we have here at Guildhall. You can also shop online at home. I'll remind everybody right now, we're in the middle of March Madness, which is no tax on all of our colored diamonds on our site. So if you're thinking of getting into those colored diamonds, you've been thinking about investing it for a while, take the opportunity to save yourself a chunk of money, folks. This is the right time to do it. And when we come back again, part two of this interview with Mr. Newmeyer, you're listening to The Real Money Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back once again to The Real Money Show. We had just heard the first segment of the Keith Newmeyer interview that Jeremy did with him. He points out, Jeremy, that silver is a strategic metal. It's a different way to think about it. It's a phrase that he coined himself, and it's been interesting so far to hear what he's had to say. We're interviewing him, I believe, on the West Coast, and he does certainly shed a lot of light on some of the aspects of the marketplace, which we might not take into consideration all the time. One of those things he also said so far in the first part is that silver is coming out of the ground at an astonishing rate of only nine to one against gold. It's trading at 80 to one, but coming out of the ground at nine to one. So let's listen here. The number to call folks, one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealth.com is the website to go to. Remember, there you can do your online shopping through our e-store. If you want to pick up some silver or gold, get that stack started. You can get some gold. You can get some one-ounce coins. You can get some one-ounce bars, right up to kilo bars and gold. You can start smaller in the grams if that's what you like. We have some beautiful silver maple leaf one gram uh, coins. We also have the bars in one grams, five, 10 gram, and 100 grams, and also since we're talking about silver, fantastic but very low supply of the 10-ounce silver maple leaf coin, something we haven't talked about for a while. We have what's left, and that's all that we have. So if you want to take a look at those, they are 10-ounce coins. They're beautiful plastic containers that seal the coin in there for freshness, and they last a lot longer there. I know, Jeremy, you're working on an article about certain things, the way to store silver, so we won't go there. And lots more to talk about, folks. But first, let's get back into the second part of that interview with Keith Newmeyer. The number to call is one eight seven seven eight silver or the website to go to is guildhallwealth.com. And remember, when the interview is concluded, we'll have a little bit of a discussion and more 
on The Real Money Show. Let's get back to it right now. And what's great for, for First Majestic is I know you're working on ways to make it cheaper to mine so that you're you're prepared for when the market does rise and you can rev up much quicker than, let's say, starting up one of those older mines, as you were just saying. So um, can you let our listeners know a little bit more about First Majestic and First Mining Gold and how they can get some more information uh, about those things? Yeah, you know, you're right regarding, you know, we, we continually try to improve our business. I think the, the, the mining sector as a whole is changing. Um, you know, the, you know, it's really, you know, whether we're forced into it or not, I guess there's a debate there to be had. But, um, uh, you know, obviously we're, we are a large company. We're publicly traded. We, you know, we've got uh, you know, 4,100 employees. We've got, you know, we've got, you know over 50,000 shareholders. So we've got a lot of responsibility to make sure that, you know, we, we do our best to, to turn a profit, um, and, and we do that by you know automation and, 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 and you know reducing input costs by a variety of different uh, means, and, and uh, you know the mining sector, in my view, is going through quite a change right now because it's been very very slow in, in reacting to new technology, and we've seen you know today the United States produces more oil today than I think they ever have for at least for several decades, anyways, and then. Uh, that's got a lot to do with what's got solely to do with, with new technology. And, and the mining sector is just now starting to adopt some, some technology. First Majestic is actually one of the leaders in this area. We're small. You know, we're not a huge company, but you know, we do what we can to, to um, uh, invest, reinvest capital into uh, quite exciting technologies, which we think are going to improve our operations quite dramatically over the next couple of years. And if you look at our our presentation on our website, you know, people want to go to our website at you know, firstmajestic.com. They could pull up the PowerPoint or, uh, and, and go into there and look at some of the interesting technologies that we've adopted over the last five years and some of the technologies that we're adopting over the next two or three years. And we spend a lot of time telling investors about that because we think it's important. You know, if if, if uh, silver prices don't want to go higher and then they, they're going to stay in the $17 range, but in the foreseeable future, you know, we've got to continually look for ways of applying down our costs. I think it's critical that we do that. And uh, it, it, it excites me because I see the efficiencies that it's creating. So, you know, um, again, you know, the, the website's there for people to look at. Uh, First Mining Gold, you did mention that uh, I'm the chairman of that company. I, I founded that company back in, uh, in 2015, uh, April 2015, went public. They're both quite different animals. Uh, you know, first fantastic silver is the second largest silver producer in Mexico. It's got six producing mines with, with their seventh mine just uh, in, the, in the process of being purchased. Uh, so by the end of April, early May, we'll, we'll have our seventh mine portfolio and then on an annualized basis for about a 30 million ounce silver producer, which makes us number two in Mexico, makes us one of the purest um, uh, silver companies in the world. And Obviously, one of the most leveraged to, to the price of silver. And once silver prices move, our stock tends to do very well. Um, you know, first mining gold is, is, is gold, obviously. Um, most of the assets are in eastern Canada. They've got 25 different projects, some spread around northern Mexico, but the core assets are really in, in Ontario, um, um, where we've got you know three of, I think, one of the uh, um, probably the best gold portfolio there is. In, in the least the junior mining sector, in these three projects in, in Ontario, we believe will all be producing mines over the next five some odd years, and then uh, you know that's a pretty exciting place to be at. And the stock is trading at 52-week lows, which is unfortunate. Um, there's been a new CEO that I just appointed um, just about a month ago, and uh, you know, he's getting his feet wet, and, and uh, 
Um, we're just you know, working to build those assets and develop them and grow them and just keep advancing them and de-risking them and getting them into production over the next several years. Well, we will put links to uh, both of those sites on our on our website at guildhallwealth.com through The Real Money Show. So anyone who wants to listen to the podcast, they can find that information. And, and if you don't mind, we'll put up your Twitter address as well. How's that sound? Yeah, the Twitter account would be good. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but you know, like news releases or interesting information that I find uh, out there, I, I do tweet out every once in a while. So. Excellent. Well, Keith Newmeyer, yeah, it's happy to have more followers. <laughs> exactly. Keith, it's been a pleasure to have you on the, the show today, and we look forward to hearing back from you soon. It's a pleasure chatting with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was an amazing interview, Jeremy. I'd like to say that Keith Newmeyer is probably one of the most knowledgeable people I've had the opportunity to speak with in the marketplace as an analyst, as a CEO, as somebody who has been in this silver and gold and mining world for so long, since the 80s, and certainly very knowledgeable when it comes to talking about what's happening. I think that in the third segment, we're going to spend some time also talking about Colored Diamonds and an article from Paul Craig Roberts, our friend to the show. But it is interesting that he pointed out a couple of very distinct things that are happening right now. One, he said, silver is coming out of the ground only at nine ounces to every one ounce of gold. So in and of itself, that's amazing. Secondly, how can you not pick up on the idea that silver is everywhere in our lives? Now, we've talked about usages till we're blue in the face over the years, many, many shows on usages only, but it never does it quite enough justice because this is a time and space in which he's saying, look around you, everything you use and touch and everything we're going to use and touch technology-wise going ahead into the future is going to be impacted by that price of silver. It may only be a small impact, but it's still going to happen. And in essence, there's nothing that can change that because there's nothing that can replace silver and what it does. And and I think with that, there was this hinting in some ways of if this story of silver really gets out and it's things really start to move in that market and those mi- those mining companies can't ramp up the production of silver fast enough that you could potentially be in a position where silver does go no bid, where people are not willing to sell it at $50, 60 $80. Um, and these companies are working as fast as they can, but not fast enough to actually start getting more silver that's needed out of the ground to satisfy the demand that's coming. And I think the other thing that he was also starting to, to discuss and, and hint at is that when you look at the stock market and where people are putting their money, he said he was suggesting that they're putting their money into things that are already high because it's um, the fashion of the day. But eventually, trillions of dollars is going to be sitting there going, well, where do we put our money next? And that's where the mining sector and the physical gold and silver market that are undervalued right now start to look pretty, pretty good. We're going to post that interview, folks, on the podcast. You'll be able to access it in addition to today's show and tomorrow's show. And if you're listening on Sunday, it will be yesterday's show. But again, we'll post that up on the podcast and put it onto our website. Certainly, we will make certain that you have great access to that interview as a standalone. It will be downloadable, and you can put that anywhere you like into any unit and listen to it at your convenience. What a great, great interview that was, Jeremy. I'm happy that we had him on there. Now, folks, when it comes to silver and gold, understand nothing is more important than taking action once you have the knowledge. If you understand that 
silver right now is sitting at 80 to 1 against the price of gold. It means it takes 80 ounces in order to equate to one ounce of gold in value. It is very undervalued against historical norms. Looking back at this bull market we've been in since 2002, the average is in the 50s. It's 55 to 1. So even if we went back to 55 to 1, that's driving the price of silver towards the $24 range. What a bargain to be able to own and stack some silver. Get into an allocated financing account here, folks. This is an opportunity to use other people's money. You can put down as little as 45% of the total metal value you want to invest and own. We can get that set up for you very quickly. It can be done online. You can submit by wire transfer and have that account up and operating and visit your allocated, segregated, serialized bars. We can do 100-ounce bars there in that account. We can also open up a gold account and do the same thing. One ounce, all Royal Canadian Mint product, and it is tangible, folks, because that's the best way you can own and hold silver and gold. Jeremy, when we come back in the third segment, let's talk a little bit about some diamonds. Let's talk a little bit about putting it all together. I want to dwell a little further on that idea of a strategic metal and what that might mean going forward and certainly spend some time helping people to open up accounts. What do you say? That sounds great. And I think along the lines of of the strategic metal, I think we should look at that article we were going to discuss about why central banks view gold as a strategic metal I brought it with me. Brought it with me. We'll do that as well. All here on The Real Money Show, folks. Get into the market now. Remember, March Madness means we are doing away with HST or the tax from your province on all of our colored diamonds right now. We'll cover that for you. Take a look at those online through guildhallwealth.com. We'll talk a little more about that. We have more updates on the Argyle mines coming in the next segment. We're almost finished a new article on the Argyle uh, situation and the closing date might shock you and might help you to make that decision to get this into your portfolio. Gold, silver at guildhallwealth.com, the newsletter, all on the website, the number to call one 78 silver. I'll say again, one eight seven seven eight silver. You are listening to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Once again, folks, welcome back to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. Jeremy, we've been extremely busy today. Great interview with Keith Newmeyer, by the way, and great suggestion to have him on. I will say this, what we have learned from Keith today, certainly to a certain extent, is is lock, stock, and barrel, part of the whole bigger picture of what we've been talking about here on The Real Money Show for a long time, which is silver is misunderstood. It's not by the greater part of the analysis world or the free market world or the globally managed asset base understood the same way, let's say, the stock market is. Or if it was, you'd see far greater percentages of people owning this asset, whether it's in paper or physical. I mean, that's their choice. We prefer physical, of course, folks, you know this, but when it comes down to it, this is an interesting point in time because what we're about to say here is an article that on the heels of what Keith was mentioning really defines 
and I think this is long overdue, this article, it's by Ronan Manley, and it was on GoldSeek that, that you found this article. From we, Bullion we both Star. Read it. It's from, from Bullion, Bullion Star. Star. He's, uh, he works and publishes for Bullion Star, and it's called Why the World's Central Banks Hold Gold, and it's in their own words. So he put together a collection, and in this article, essentially, it's stating the main reasons countries, whole countries, their central banks own this relic, if you will. <laughs> you know this. That's right. This, this, this kind of treasure way past its time artifact treasure something not that part of the monetary system thing. right yeah. so if you're listening put on your tinfoil and you know your tinfoil hat get in your basement where you're deep in your bunker and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why central banks hold it because really let's just let's just call it what it is people in the mainstream media the prostitutes if you will treat this asset like it's a decaying archaic piece of junk and most of the people that invest in it are told or asked what are you doing why on earth would you do i get that every week you get it every week yeah but here in this article these are central banks folks these are the bankers themselves that own them so let's go through this for a second here jeremy the the go ahead and and i I just wanted to add that this is this article is so great that it came along because we talk about the fact that central banks have been buying gold net buyers of gold since 2008 Mm -hmm. 2009 and it's really great to get some of their responses and reasons why and the survey overall as to why they are holding physical gold now there's a few on the list that didn't want to give any information, like Spain and Japan, um, to name a, to name two. But uh, most of them were pretty open about the reasons why they're holding gold. Well, there's one in particular bigger than those two that didn't want to give any information. The and BIS? The U.S. Oh, U.S. Of yeah, course. the U.S., of course. They have the world's reported largest gold store, 8,000 tons in Fort Knox and other various places around the country, but yet hasn't been audited since the 1960s. My guess is it's not there, folks, but I could be wrong. I hope that this article sheds some light on that. In the first paragraph of this article, it. it says, collectively, the central bank sector claims to hold the world's largest above ground gold bar stockpile, some 33 1,800 tons of gold bars. Individually within this group, some central banks claim to be the top holders of gold bullion in the world with individual holdings in the thousands of tons range. Now they went through a number of them and they gave in this some 15 page article a little bit of feedback. Now in terms of world official gold holdings, folks, the top of the charts is held by United States with just about 8.13 tons. That's about 75% of the reserves. Germany is a close second. The International Monetary Fund a close third. Italy in fourth. France fifth. Then China, Russia, Switzerland, Japan, Netherlands, and Turkey rounds out the top 11. Now let's just start here for a second with a couple of them. I'll go to Germany and we'll quote the article and they spoke with uh, the Deutsche uh, Bundesbank in Germany. It's now a very infamous bank in the news quite a lot. And part of the quote that they put into this article was that in the event of a crisis, the gold bars they hold could be pledged as collateral or sold at the storage site abroad without having to be transported. In this way, the Bundesbank could raise liquidity in a foreign reserve currency. However, These are purely precautionary measures as we are not expecting this kind of contingency scenario at the current time. Of course, that's the caveat to the whole situation. Some central banks don't want to cause problems. They don't want people to think that this is about to happen. 
but why else would you hold gold? Again, let's remind yeah. our listeners, it's an archaic asset, folks. No need to hold it, nothing to see here. But yet there's one of the world's largest central banks saying that they, in fact, do hold it. And it is a strategic part of their investment program. What else you got, Jeremy? Well, yeah, and, and of course, they, you know, they're basically saying they're holding it for an emergency purpose because if there is a currency crisis, you've got the gold to be able to say, sell this many tons of gold. We need the liquidity. Um, it's one of the reasons, if we go back, there was that great... Um, uh, documentary, The Mystery of Gold or something like that. It's on our YouTube site. You can go right. on to and, and watch it where they talk about Winston Churchill taking the gold from England over to Canada because if Hitler was successful, they still have gold. If you have gold, you can convert that gold to cash. You can continue continue the fight, keep your sovereignty because if you're just depending purely on your fiat money, money by decree, what do you have if, if you lose confidence? I think they're still looking for that on Oak Island and it's, okay. it's a curse. <laughs> Um, one of the, uh, one that I really liked was actually Sweden. Um, they were talking about the main, and I'll quote here, the main reason Sweden still has gold reserve is because the value of gold does not normally follow the same pattern as the value of the currency reserve. In other words, if the currency is going down, gold isn't necessarily going down with it. It's actually staying up. The antithesis. Uh, we call that negative correlation. Right on. Um, consequently, the combined value of gold and currency reserve is more stable than the value of gold reserve and the currency reserve separately. In other words, you want to have a bit of both. If you have a currency reserve, you want to have gold to tether it because if the currency goes down, you've got gold to protect it and keep that value going. So this is the classic idea of gold as a hedge against devaluing currencies. And you have a central bank essentially admitting that if there's a currency issue and they lose value on their currency, they've got gold to help prop it up. Another currency. One currency replaced by another. Folks, you heard it there first because that's truly what it is. Gold is a currency. I'll switch ahead here to England because I find that the UK is a very interesting story to be told. They have a bunch of idiots running the country around the turn of the 2000. And Gordon Brown, who later gets rewarded by being becoming the prime minister of the country, at the time is the minister of finance. He gives away basically all their gold at 250 an ounce. You can read about it, folks. This stuff isn't made up. It's the absolute truth. Why a country would do it, who knows? Our country did it too, and to this day we wonder why. But they're saying the reasons they still hold gold, they're very interesting. Part of their argument, they went to, they're looking at this from the Bank of England handbook in a section called The Role of Gold, and they say it sums up the UK's traditional region, reasons for holding gold, and it says the war chest argument. Gold is seen as the ultimate asset, not just any asset, but the ultimate or pinnacle asset to hold in an emergency in the past, and it's in the past has often appreciated in value in times of financial instability or uncertainty. That's not us making this up, folks. That's a central bank of the UK saying this right in the their uh, handbook entitled The Role of Gold. They also say the ultimate store of value, an inflation hedge, and medium of exchange. Again, this interchangeability of gold being a currency, is it not a currency? 
You know, is it the the yin to the yang? I mean, nobody knows, right? But the headlines and the prostitutes over here in North America would have you believe this archaic relic is no longer a currency. Well, it is, folks, and it goes on and on and on. Well, Tell you it, what, what? Go ahead, so, Jeremy. Sorry. And and <clears throat> I what I liked from their handbook was no default risk. Right. Gold is nobody's liability, and so cannot be frozen, repudiated, or defaulted on. That's that's remarkable. I mean, that that's everything that we talk about, the idea of no counterparty risk. If you have gold, you're protected. You have your own wealth. You And what we're telling people is become your own central bank. Start to save some gold, convert some of your currency into physical gold so that you have that hedge against inflation, against devaluation of currencies, um, so that there is no counterparty risk, uh, which when you're holding stocks and anything that's equity-based or currency-based, there is counterparty risk there. All right, one eight seven seven eight silver is the number to call. Guildhallwealth.com is the website. Get it into your registered account, folks. One of the best and quickest ways you can actually protect your gains in the gold and silver market is a TFSA, tax-free savings account. It's easy to get started. It's even easier to watch over, allow you to sleep at night because it's physical. It's allocated to you. It's your product. You get the serial numbers if you choose to, and we'll show you how to do it at guildhallwealth.com. Also, coming back in the last segment, Jeremy, we'll talk about the Paul Craig Roberts article. We'll tell people a little bit what's going on in the Argyle update. A little bit of diamond news, a couple of diamonds sold this week. You are listening to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management, and you are doing so on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. All right, we're back for the fourth segment of The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. The numbers to get in touch here, one eight seven seven eight silver and really that's the only number to call. There is no other number. It's guildhallwealth.com, which is the website. I will remind everybody, before we went to break, Jeremy, we were talking about this fantastic article that we got through Bullion Star regarding the world's central banks and their opinions on why they hold gold. And this is an article which I think needs to be in the hands of our listeners. They need to go through this and actually read this because as the banks go, so does the money. So if you are being smart about your wealth, if you are wanting to insure your wealth, if you're wanting to own it just for the pure pleasure of speculation, whatever your motive is, we won't question it, but get into the gold and silver market, and this is the article to do it. We'll post it onto the LinkedIn group. We'll send it through our Twitter feed. And if you're already subscribed to the Precious Metals newsletter, then you got it in this week's Precious Metals newsletter. And this article basically is saying, in some ways, bringing together the the interview we did with Keith Newmeyer is this idea that you know, we've been on a monetary system since 1971. The prior system was based from the 40s with Bretton Woods. And, you know, think these mon- monetary systems don't last forever. And central banks understand that printing money uh, and consistently printing money and ballooning debts has some consequences. And you should probably be hedged against that if you want to maintain your sovereignty and if Poland still wants to be Poland down the road. And this is why you start to, if you're deep into the precious metal market and you're you're looking at all of these uh, pieces being moved around the board and you hear about China buying buying a lot of gold and Russia buying a lot of gold. And the idea behind that in, in many respects is about the fact that when the monetary system changes and shifts, the, the ones that own the gold will make the rules. And so this is part of the reason why countries are adding to their gold positions, because if there is a currency crisis, which leads to a new monetary system in respect. And we're not saying the sky's going to fall. The idea is that there was a time where where Britain was 
the reserve currency. They they held that spot with the pound, and that eventually shifted over to the to the states. It was backed by gold, and then in 1971 they unhinged that backing and. As we can see, the debt in the U.S. is now 22 trillion. Um, they can't grow out of that uh, out of that debt. Where does this go from here? And so, central banks are owning physical gold as a way to hedge against dollar devaluations, obviously causing inflation as a result. If there's a liquidity crisis, you can sell your gold very quick. And so, there's all these strategic ways, as we were saying through what Keith Newmeyer coined for silver, all of these strategic ways and reasons why you want to have that product available. So be like the central banks, have some physical gold in your portfolio, balance the portfolio against equities by having something that's a, a, a tangible asset that's easy, that's able to be easily liquidated and has hedged against devaluations of currencies for pretty much as, as, as far back as history goes. One eight seven seven eight silver or guildhallwealth.com. That's the website and the phone number, folks, where you can go see the product online, get a feel for what you're buying, what you're investing in, get more information on not only The Real Money Show, but all of the various aspects of what we do at Guildhall Wealth. Remember, you can put this product into your registered accounts, whether it's an RRSP, whether it's locked in, whether it's a Lira whether it's a spousal RSP and RESP for the kids, which doesn't happen too often. I wish we saw more of that at the firm, but I know you're thinking about your children's futures. That's a good option for you as well. You can also put it in TFSA. That is one of the places where you can basically have gold and silver and whatever money you make inside of that account. It's capital gains free. It's long-term. It's your retirement plan. I think that people have to become less passive and more active. Now, Jeremy, not only do we have this idea of gold and silver being two of the world's best kept secrets, there's also a third. There is natural fancy colored diamonds. Now, we don't have a lot of time in this week's show. I want to spend just a couple of minutes here going to this particular area, but we have been working on, you and I, over the last couple of weeks, updating an article which I wrote a year ago on the Argyle Mine, a small little article just talking about Oh, the closing date of the Argyle mine and what it means to pink diamonds. And everybody throws this around like it's a jug of Kool-Aid and it's, there's no responsibility to it whatsoever. But the truth is, it does matter. Yeah, and, and you did some uh, a great bit of investigative journalism where you were able to join the Argyle Mining Group on Facebook Shh, and eventually get kicked out, of course. Of course. <laughs> well, that's investigative analysis, shall we call it. But, but now yes. they like you. Well, I'm but, back. But I'm back. I'm back. in the group. So if you are able to get into that group, folks, then you'll find me there. You found a friend is what and happened. I found a friend. And uh, although we don't really go into a lot of detail about the mine operations or anything that's not public news... I do get to see the photos of the Argyle mine, which tempted and piqued my curiosity into finding out more about the resources they have at the mine. In a nutshell, we're finishing off this article. It's shocking. You're going to want it. You have to have it. If you're a diamond investor, it would be absolutely ludicrous not to have this. But here's what we want to say to you. We want to engage. We want to know who's out there listening to this show that would like to find out more information about natural fancy colored diamonds. So when you call 
or when you write in or when you use one of the forms on the websites, request the Argyle Report. Tell us you're interested in natural fancy colored diamonds so we can isolate that for you and give you the right information. If you want gold and silver as well, you know you have to go to guildhallwealth.com. The e-store is there. And uh, Jeremy, before we close out this week. Yeah, we, we think it's important that people have the physical product in their hand when it comes to precious metals. If you can't hold it, you don't own it. And if you've never invested in precious metals before, buy a little bit of product. Go to our e-store at guildhallpreciousmetals.com. Pick up a few maples, pick up a 10-ounce bar, get some product in your hand. I I assure you it's going to be life-changing. We notice every person who's ever purchased physical product has has an aha moment about it and and starts to understand what real money is. We have the no tax on natural fancy colored diamonds, and we've already had uh, a couple people take advantage of that last week. Two of them this week. So Take a look at the the website. Take a look at our collection. And if you'd like to see something in person, please let us know. And then we also have physical product that you can put into your registered account. Yes, the the date's gone by, but there's still time to move product. If you're if you're not happy with some of your investments in your registered account, you can look at holding some physical gold as an alternative. All right, great show this week, Jeremy. Lots of information jam packed. Keith Newmeyer interview will be up on the web, folks, for you to listen to at your leisure. We thank you for listening. You have been tuned in to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. It is one eight seven seven eight silver or guildhallwealth.com. And you've been listening to the show on the Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.